whenever there's trouble, G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe. International heroes. G.I. Joe is there. This is episode 98 of G.I. Joburg, and we are in the thick of things with Operation Dragonfire, Day 5. My name is Steven, and tonight I'm joined by... Ultimate version of Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Creatively named Day 5 Robert. And that's it. G.I. Joburg has been dialed back to its South African roots. Well, Kuja did say yesterday that, yeah, he was he was busy tonight and we're all going to miss him. But he definitely did tell me his, his score ahead of time and he said he gives this episode 5 out of 5. So we're going to see if, if it lives up to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, with that kind of counterpoint, I mean, damn, now, now I need to kind of moderate my score a little bit. Jeez, we've already arrived at the end at the beginning. But, <laughs> I mean, Dragonfire is in danger of being our most liked miniseries and maybe that that might come as a shock to most of our listenership but i remember distinctly thinking the first time i watched operation dragonfire i was like this is fresh this is different this is good (laughs) i'm enjoying this this is showing love to some underloved and underutilized characters and designs and it's intriguing and it's surprising uh so yeah, man, it, if this does come out on top, which it's looking pretty good for, I'm not going to dispute that. I'm just going to leave that out there for the rest of the G.I. Joe community to to either agree with us or crucify us over. But hey, Operation Dragonfire, let's wrap this bad boy up. Let's talk a little bit about our key character and his presentation in the 1989 G.I. Joe roster. And that's Scoop. I just want to hear from both of you what you love about this figure. Let's just talk purely about the action figures. I'm an action figure kind of guy. You know, art is Kujo's department, cartoons, whatever, comic books. But I just want to talk about toys here. And guys, what do you think of Scoop as an action figure? Rob, he's your favorite. What is it that draws (laughs) you to this figure, man? It is a good figure. Am I, am of I right? Of course you're right. I mean, you're, you're right to agree with me. <laughs> it's the best figure ever! <laughs> I would I would probably strongly argue that. He's just got so much details. The fact that he is a journalist is really obvious from looking at the figure. Um, I think in, in film parlance, it would be kind of like an orgy of evidence. <laughs> you know, like, like this guy is definitely this thing that you say he is, stereotypically so. But it's kind of cool because he he looks like a typical Joe, but then you kind of get a bit closer and he's, he's got a camera. He's, he's got his, I don't know, like a light meter and stuff like that. And he's got his amazing wrist thing. I mean, I'm not going into detail here because, I mean, I've, I've, I've repeated myself hundreds of times. And the colors aren't too in your face. You know, he's kind of really straightforward and that comes across in the cartoon as well. You know, he suddenly has his uniform and they're like, hey... You're a Joe now. Good job. And he's also one of the only Joes that I can at least remember up to this point coming with a silenced pistol, or at least a silenced weapon. Um, Maybe Snake Eyes did. Wow, I'm really driving my brain here. Can anyone refute the fact that he's the first Joe to come with a silenced weapon? 
The only other Joe, and I mean, I'm sure there's plenty between Scoop and this Joe's release, but the only other Joe I can think of that has a gun that is similar to Scoop's is actually Gridiron. Hmm. Um, oh, but he's not the only one. Uh, I mean, he, uh, sorry, he's the one that jumps out to mind. I can't think of anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Some might argue actually. that what Gridiron has is, I don't know, a shotgun? Possibly? <laughs> Well, that's the complete opposite of a silenced weapon. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, maybe just a long barrel uh, pistol. I don't think it's a suppression system. Whereas with Scoop, it's a it's a more outlandish design. I mean, on the card, it's a forty-five that has a silencer on it. The gun itself in hand, the action figure comes with a, a more far-out design. I mean, it's obviously a pistol. But it's slightly oversized. That's okay. All of the G.I. Joe pistols, well, for the most part, were. But it, it kind of has a more sci-fi look to it, which is great. It's it's a beautiful piece. But other figures with suppressors or with suppressed weapons, I'd like to think Shockwave's submachine gun is suppressed. But as far as silenced yes, pistols... Yes, it does look like it is. As far as silenced pistols are concerned, Scoop was the first out of the gate there. <laughs> He's a winner. And I love your rationalization for that, Rob. It's like, shh, don't ruin my shot. <laughs> <laughs> Go quietly. Go quietly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go quietly. Jeez. That's gorgeous. Wow. Also, to my knowledge, he's got the best hair sculpt on the back of his head. Like, his, his you know, they don't dial it in as you move to the back. Like, the back is mm. very textured, and you're only going to get the benefit of that when you have the figure in hand, because I don't imagine mm. it showing up very well in photography, but his head sculpt is absolutely first class. I mean, it's no wonder that he's modeled after a real person, because whoever was sculpting this figure was inspired, man. They had photos to go off of. They really did a immaculate job. And you just run your, mm. your hands over the texture of the figure, and you're like... Man, this is sculpting in overdrive. This is a really, really fantastic action figure. There's mad sculpt texture on his boots. And his camera. And his backpack. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) You've converted me, Rob. He's a really fine action figure. And I love him. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Team 89 for the win. You got three (laughs) OG13s plus some cool, interesting new characters. And Downtown. Downtown's in there, too. And, oh, Downtown's Ooh, great, though. He's so but good. Not, we can chat Downtown later. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Shall we talk about the final installment of episode five? Oh, can I, can I put in my Well, before we about... get there, maybe let's, let, let's see if Paul has a dissenting opinion. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to throw in my two cents. So... I've always, um, just from the outset, always thought Scoop was an interesting-looking figure. Like, I was always, I was never really that motivated to get one or anything. I was just like, yeah, he will eventually be part of my set. He will be mine. And um, uh, I was looking for Joe's uh, a while back, and and I had found a Scoop, a complete Scoop with a microphone. And I thought, hey, well, you know, it's probably going to be one of the few times I I find this. So I had ordered him. Uh, and it's funny because the universe had kind of pointed me in this way as well because I bought a baggie of accessories from Buddle Buy, which is our sort of local, I could say, a mix of Craigslist and eBay, <laughs> South Africa. And in that little baggie was Scoop's camera. And 
it made me want scoop more. I think that's what set me off. And you know, Rob, Rob has been speaking scoop for almost a hundred episodes now. Um, <laughs> so you know, there's got to be something about this toy that's special, right? So I get this thing, and yeah, uh, scoop is actually magic. I mean, the the two gentlemen before me have uh, listed some of his cooler points. I'm going to list one or two that I haven't heard from their mouths yet. Uh, the first thing is the sculpting is so good that it actually looks like things are removable that aren't actually removable. There are very few Joes that have this, in my opinion. That's your modern era brain working, bro. You're like, damn it, why can't I take this camera off his chest and lose it in the carpet? <laughs> yeah. That accessory he has on his left wrist, I mean, that is something that looked like it was removable. And, and that was before I even got into modern era figures, because I remember seeing him and going, oh, cool, he's got some kind of thing on his wrist. Anyway, I've got this toy, and he's so much fun, and the weapons are amazing, but he's got a cool little feature. And I don't know if this is an intended feature, but when I got the figure in hand, I noticed a hole on the backpack. So I got all of the, the tubing for this uh, toy. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, okay, so where did this go? So I was like, okay, that's obvious. That goes from here to the leg. Uh, that works out well. Okay, but this is clearly not meant to be a right-handed kind of weapon. So, I mean, camera. So I moved it to his left hand, put his gun in his right hand. And then I was like, okay, wait, hold on. Is something fallen out here? So on the backpack, there's this kind of hole. And like I said, it looks like it's meant to connect to a pipe. And originally, I was trying to stick the pipe in a hole on the side of the camera which I managed to somehow successfully do. <laughs> and then there was a hole at the bottom. So I'm like, what the hell is up with this hokey figure? So I quickly thought, <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm going to go into the internet quickly and see if there's something I'm missing from this. So I, my first port of call was Yojo. Yojo was like, this is all the accessories. Fantastic. I got them all. So then I checked out 3D Joe's and 3D Joe's has done something quite unique with this figure. And I, I still don't know if this is an actual feature, but I like it. You can plug the camera onto the backpack. Uh, there's a little peg in the camera, and there's a little hole on the backpack, and you can marry the two, and it looks pretty. It looks pretty legit. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Oh, makes me terrified that I'm gonna snap that little post. <laughs> Thankfully, I have two scoop cameras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I urge you, Joe fans listening, to try that out. Um, it makes this figure a hundred times cooler. I am going to dispute that you put the camera in his his left hand and his gun in his right. The evidence that his holster is on his left suggests otherwise. And the viewfinder on yeah. the camera curls towards his right eye. His right leg, mm. yeah. Well, to his right eye and also yeah, to his leg. But then you look at the packaging, the artwork, which, I mean, the camera he's holding there is... Yours big, but big. It, it it does do that in the picture. He's holding the gun in the right hand mm. and the camera in the left, but the cabling there is obviously so much more flexible. Mm. I mean, it's like a normal yeah. cable. It's not like the the rubber tubing that we get, which works. I mean, in mm. the reality of the picture, but yeah, for the figure, it's a lot more difficult to get that to look natural. I guess he might be a right and left-handed shooter. He might be ambidextrous. It could very well be. Reason being, yeah. he would put the camera, his most important piece of equipment, in his dominant hand. Yeah. Mm. Which I guess is his left. Because in an ideal world, he would shoot with his left as well, uh, because that's where his holster is. And that's where his holdout pistol is holstered, on his left boot. Yeah, I was about mm. to say. 
when he's filming, the camera goes in the left hand. If he's not filming, he'll be shooting with his left hand. If he's filming and shooting, cameras in left, pistols in right. Yes, mm. because it's more important to get the shot. You're shooting you double. Know, the video shot. Mm-hmm. The video shot. Then the, <laughs> the shooting, also, the person shot. <laughs> and something cool to note about him as well. Uh, this is funny coming out of my mouth, but then again, Rob has spoken about him for like 98 episodes, so it's finally my turn. <laughs> that camera has got such a great sculpt to it, but something that's quite remarkable about the camera, especially from this era, is that DV cams, uh, the kind of camera that this is for broadcast quality recording, were huge. They were massive. They were like bazookas. <laughs> so Scoopers actually got like a super state-of-the-art camera here. I mean, it's even got a little um, uh, mic. I think it's actually got two mics on it. It's got like a little shotgun mic on it and another little mic at the bottom there. Um, but it's fantastic. And if you look at it that way, it is actually, it does make the figure like that much cooler. It's like, I think if you were a, a film buff or something in this era or a cameraman or you had a, you were a cameraman and you had a son, I think it, this was a great pleasure of a toy to show to your kid and say, hey, Look how amazing this like this guy does dad's job, but look how cool his technology is. He can even broadcast from his back. That's it's not a, a cool microphone thing. on the bottom. That's a removable mallet. You know, is it <laughs> for knocking in tent poles? Come on. <laughs> I I don't know. Like I... the fact that the backpack. I like the fact that the backpack can stand on its base. On its own. Yeah, it can stand upright points no this figure is full of win and i think deke was awesome um in in the fact that they pulled uh pulled scoop out as their go-to guy and um scoop and sneak peek have always been two characters i kind of associate with joe's like chuckles um as being spies as being um guys across the line so to speak huh, camera pun there but uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, and uh what an endearing toy so if you guys haven't got scoop uh rob really is onto something so do yourselves a favor and get him even better get him while he's still got a mic and i think there's a uh, there's a few ebay guys who have him with a mic i'm looking at dan samansky's page uh what is that quality joe's oh yes oh yes he's got one there with a mic so Scoop it up quick. (laughs) (laughs) Love it, love it, love it, love it. And on to the episode review. Here we go, gentlemen. My name's Scoop. Ever since I realized the true evil of Cobra, I've been working for G.I. Joe. Unfortunately, Cobra Commander and Destro already control three Dragonfire bases, and now they're going after number four and total victory. I'm going to do my best to see that they fail. But Lowlight thinks I'm a Cobra spy, which means I've got enemies on all sides, as I'm trying to discover the final secret of Dragonfire to save G.I. Joe. And now the final episode of Operation Dragonfire begins. So, we open up with a narration the narrator is Scoop. And he's not so much giving a summary of events that have happened in a sort of omniscient voice, but he's literally talking to the viewer about what has happened to him. So it bookends episode 5 with a personal address by Scoop, which then marries well to the end of the episode, where Scoop once again gives a summary of what has happened on his adventure. And it becomes crystal clear in this moment 
that Scoop is in fact the heart of Operation Dragonfire. This is all about him. He is the lens through which we experience this miniseries. And I've got to tell you that coming from the previous iterations of Joe under Sunbow, where the focus was always split over an ensemble of characters, I quite like this unitary view that we are seeing things from his point of view, that he is the central character. And that's quite unique for G.I. Joe, which is a, a show that has a massive roster of characters. To have it boiled down to one man's story, one man's struggle, I, I'm already in favor. It's such a fresh take. What say you, gents? I actually couldn't agree with you more. Hmm. I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, it really, really uh, takes all the hokiness out of the previous four episodes and goes, this is Scoop's story. And then I, I was just immediately transported into, oh, this is like the Shawshank Redemption of G.I. Joe animated series. <laughs> <laughs> he crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. <laughs> Indeed. And he did. Anything you want to add to that, Robbie? I find it incredible that Doug Booth, or whoever you know, originally came up with the idea to use Scoop as the main character, chose him from all of the characters that they could have chosen from the 89 line. Because, I mean, there must have come a point where they were sitting there going, ooh, let's, let, let's choose a character that this could all be you know, centered around. So I'm really glad they chose Scoop over Downtown or, or Recoil or DJ. Another important character is the Alley Viper. I mean, this is just a, a faceless member of the Cobra Legions. But no, in their wisdom, they decided to give this character character. He's Scoop's buddy. He's Scoop's counterpoint. His Cobra pal. The guy who's like adding a human face to Cobra. It's only ironic that we never get to see his face. But it's like, he's just a member of the Legions. He's not part of the hierarchy he's just a true believer who happens to be fighting the good fights on the side of cobra and yet he is also central to the the plots and the character that we follow the journey of quite closely but we've had another location change at this point because we open at sorcerer's mesa where spirit <laughs> is now a character that has lines <laughs> and ironically, he sounds a lot like the late Serpentor, who is now an iguana. I guess the voice actor had a five-episode contract, and they were like, uh, well, you were written out in episode four, so mm, can you do the noble savage? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, come on, that's a character archetype in film study, the noble savage. And that is, that's Spirit's, uh, Spirit's M.O., yeah, no, definitely. I'm just... <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty unexpected. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you never know what's what going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to say, boys, until I said it. Well, what you notice from the scene, but what you notice a lot earlier on, actually, um, but I didn't get across to mention it, is that for the Joes, or at least the Slaughter's Marauders, they've decided... I mean, yes, they have the, you know, the blue accents to, the, to their uniforms, but they decided to give them all camo pants... And the same camera pants, which is very different from the kind of uh, weird striped green and kind of weird yellow and blue pants that the characters, the toys, seem to have. 
And I think that's kind of cool. It kind of makes them more of a unified team than, say, the figures necessarily were. Hmm. I spy a lazy boy custom. If you want to recapture <laughs> that look, you just get a bunch of uh, 1986 Hawks and take their pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> But yes, a much more sensible approach to that ridiculous uh, color scheme. Mm. Oh, man. And Freedom gets to play a role in this episode, which is quite fun. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, in order to get the Dragonfire to work, we got to find an old guy. Freedom, fetch. Find an old guy. <laughs> he doesn't go to an old age home. No, no, no. He, he flies <laughs> off to some mountaintop where there's this dude that they have to then winch up using a Skystorm. Oh, that's priceless. Right? How absolutely ridiculous is that? And that had me in stitches. I was... I, it, it, it is kind of a combination of having played Metal Gear Solid Five and there being a character called Code Talker who was also a, a Native American gentleman. And then, you know, also... In Metal Gear Solid 5, you have the Fulton system, uh, which is brought from the portable uh, Metal Gear Solid. And, like, I'm just seeing them wheel this guy, like, they're winching this guy up. And not only are they winching him up, he's on, like, a seat. <laughs> so the immediate impression you get is that he's in a wheelchair, right? <laughs> so these assholes made him go all the way up that rock hill mountain <laughs> thing just to get airlifted. I mean... I don't know, man. Maybe hell? he was just standing up there waiting. He was he was watching the sunrise or something. He was meditating. I don't know. If I was Freedom, I would have been scoping out the nearest old age home. It's like, oh, my master wants an old guy. Well, I know where to find him. Because <laughs> Freedom found a whole bunch of them. Yeah, the, he, yeah, he kept sending him out. He was like, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one, Freedom. <laughs> oh, damn it, Freedom. This one's a racist. Take it back. <laughs> <laughs> they have to have a good singing voice. <laughs> so, Scoop is back on the Cobra airship, and Cobra Commander and Destro are, are, are hatching their plan in order to take this last deposit of Dragonfire at Sorcerer's Mesa. But Scoop feeds them misinformation by feeding them a bit of a bullshit plan. That instead of attacking the Mesa they should probably first attack the G.I. Joe base, thus preventing the Joes from surprise attacking them from the rear. What do they call it? Delta Charlie or Delta... Yeah, Delta Charlie. Indicated on the map by a cool American star. Awesome. <laughs> Low Light has got some pretty strong continuity. We cut to him, still stranded in South America where we left him, and he's picking through the Cobra rubble as indicated by a very nicely wrecked Battlefield Robots hovercraft, and he finds an Annihilator backpack. And wouldn't it be great if it was the same Annihilator backpack that the Sarge brought down in Day Ooh, 3? <laughs> that would be some incredible <laughs> continuity. Yeah, and it would also explain why it is so messed up. Like immaculate. It's not really functioning oh, very well. Did I say immaculate? My bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one thing's for sure, that... Annihilator backpack has got the most incredible range because it's going to get low light all the way from South America into this uh, Native American reserve. Because <laughs> off he goes. The Cobras arrive in Dodge inside like a kind of a, a canyon, but they reused animation from earlier because... 
we have that cool shot of the landing skids being deployed and it landing, <laughs> and there's like jungle in the it background. It was too well animated that, that they just could have not use it again. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Mm. The background suddenly became very green, only to have it turn rocky again. And then they get all the, the vehicles out, and in, in the previous episode, we were treated to a cool little sequence where like the vehicles would drive in a circle as they were pythonized, but he decided not to pythonize the his tanks. Whoopsie. I mean, it. okay, that makes sense toy-wise, but it doesn't make sense in that why wouldn't he apply this process to all of his vehicles? Yeah, particularly mm. the heavy ones that uh, would need radar-defeating technology. I mean, stuns... Like the Razorback and stuff. Stuns yeah. are just, yeah, they're a dime a dozen. They're <laughs> like scout vehicles. Good point, Robbie. Stuns are still shit, even if they are Pythonized. I mean, they, they keep trying. Ali Viper finally turns on Scoop. We have that moment coming up. And they have a fight, which is kind of clumsy. This is where the animation isn't so good, I'm not going to lie. And Scoop manages to one-up the Ali Viper by... What does he do? He takes a power cord and lassoes a office chair, slamming it into the back <laughs> of Ali Viper's head. Like... This Ali Viper's helmet must be made out of, like, craft paper. He must be wearing a paper hat, basically, because he gets hit on the head in the cave when fighting Stalker, and he's out cold. He gets hit in the back of the head by an office chair. Like, I think if you hit me with an office chair right now on my exposed head, I don't think I'd be out cold. I don't think an office chair weighs enough. To knock you out cold. I don't know. Maybe I've, I've just got a... <laughs> Sound a like a YouTube video waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, totally. Rob and Paul pummel Stephen with an office chair until he blacks chair. out. <laughs> Look forward to that, guys. But what I also find kind of a little bit lazy, or I suppose coincidental, is that the Alibaba keeps walking in on people having conversations <laughs> that no one else should see. Even though they had such a fucked up childhood. <laughs> Sorry. He's just always there. He's like he's always around the corner. He's like, what? What are these guys talking about? <laughs> what is it? What, what is he talking about? Well, maybe he's still tasked with uh, scrounging up snakes for the pythonization process. It's real tough to scrounge up snakes in the Cobra airship. It could also be. Yeah. I mean, he was a Crimson Guardsman, and we have previously theorized that they often insert them into other units, you know, other Viper units to kind of spy on them, and that's that's his training, just kind of. Coming to the fore. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. So. That's good. Mm. And we get a cool uh, Metal Gear Solid moment at the end of the scene with the uh, scoop stuffing the Ali Viper into a locker. Into <laughs> a <laughs> locker. Yeah, man. Proto Metal Gear Solid moment. It's like Hideo Kojima. Uh, basically, he, he watched his Dragonfire. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed on G.I. Jaroberg. Hideo Kojima is a huge G.I. Jaroberg fan. <laughs> Hideo Kojima is a huge G.I. Joe fan. That's the well. one. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, guys. This is an overarching concern that I've had with Dragonfire. Love Scoop's character. Loathe his voice performance. Because, you know, he, he's he's got some rather painful Boy Scouting moments. Where he's like, yeah, I was going to say, he's so white bread. He is a bit white bread. <laughs> and the, the, the rather unenthusiastic performance that the the voice has uh, doesn't help 
It's like if you mm-hmm. if you've got an absolute like stinker of a line, like uh, I think this is the best place for you just now. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Ali Viper asks, or he says, "You won't get away with this," like Scoop's really really Boy Scouty answer is, "Well, at least I'll have done the right thing." It's a <laughs> terrible line, but I can only imagine some of the old god nailing it better, like a Michael Bell or a Bill Ratner. Yeah, man, if you've got to say something as true blue as that, you've got to invest your heart and soul into the way you say it. Anyway... Oh, word. I think I know why Scoop has been champion of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is that? For the same reason Rob's mom bought Rob Scoop. She probably thought that he was like a non-lethal character or something, and that's probably what Deke thought too. Oh, yeah, the exactly. Illusion shattered. Kind of... <laughs> the illusion shattered, definitely. But like, I think he just gives off that air of like, "Hey, I'm an innocent dude," you know, until he shoots you silently. <laughs> Get out of my shot. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the Joes having abandoned their base. All the Joes are shown up to have their unique vehicles. That's some cool budget use. We've got all of the Slaughter's Marauders vehicles being represented. We've got a Raider. And we've got Stalker riding atop the Deathmobile, a.k.a. the Radar Rat. (laughs) And the Radar Rat is actually doing its thing. It is detecting the Cobra airship's arrival on the radar. No, it's Mm -hmm. not. Huh. Stalker is very quick to say that nothing is showing up on radar. Could it be because of the Pythonization process? Or could it be the fact that he's operating a radar dish inside a canyon? (laughs) That's just fucking idiotic. You know, there's a reason you put your radar at the top of a tower. Because radar, uh, surprise, surprise, it operates line of sight. Yeah. Duh. So you they park it in easy. you park it in a cave, you're not gonna see anything. You're not gonna see nothing. But mm. luckily they did confirm in the last episode when Serpentor didn't see those conquests coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys, inside the Mesa, Lady J is seen operating a bit of communications gear. She's recording the chant that the elders do in order to raise the dragon fire. Now, don't you guys think that, that communication gear looks almost like a toy design it's so well detailed from the the Mm. angles and the the very well detailed wheels Uh, the element that sold it for me is the fact that like it looks like the flag the fuel truck mixed with the flags uh like communication bank from the inside of the Mm. tower and it's even detailed with like a gi joe style star roundel you know the white star inside the black circle yeah it looks just like an unproduced toy i wouldn't be surprised if that exists somewhere at least in a, a prototype sketch. another easter egg as well is when scoop is sending off a transmission to gi joe yes uh the actual computers uh, computers used that he sends off from are from the terradrome oh are they terradrome oh okay. when I, mean, I saw them i instantly recognized them because i i have a terradrome that's right. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Even in just the texturing of the world, there's respect being paid to the toys. They didn't just 
design a nondescript bank of computers. It's taken from an actual toy design. So I think that's quickly becoming my favorite hallmark of Deke. If there is an opportunity to use a toy design, use it. Even if it's just textural. You know, if you need something and the toy doesn't exist, by all means, invent it. But if you can find a toy substitution, that is first prize. I really like that direction. I applaud the nobility of your statement, and I, I actually choose to believe it the way that you've said it, to give you a different way of thinking and possibly more pessimistic. I think it was so much easier to just copy what was lying around as well. Th that's not a bad thing either. I mean, it, it works out in our, favors, uh, in our favor as viewers, but um, if you have all of this prime reference lying around and you don't have to think conceptually, oh, it takes a lot of strain of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fun fact, I've actually stolen a design from Rock and Roll's uh, Gatling guns for the current game that I'm working on because no. I, yeah, no, because I had to solve this problem and I didn't do it purposefully. I didn't like seek out my figures and go, oh, cool, I'm going to copy this design. I kept doing the design and I was like, wow, that looks like Rock and Roll's. I've got to get away from it. And I was like, no, Paul, embrace it. Embrace <laughs> it. Take it to 11. Man, <laughs> all of a sudden I want to see that design. It's not that flashy, but it looks cool on the drones. <laughs> I'll show you guys just now. Cool. Is it underslung and double? It's oddly enough overslung, but it is double. And I've made the, the barrels the barrels actually interlock. So the idea is, originally the idea was to have one barrel firing until it overheats and it switches over to the other barrel. But now it's the two barrels actually interlock with each other. So they're always shooting from the same point, but it keeps each barrel moderately cool. Hmm. And then I've got a... Instead of a belt-fed system, because the game's physics don't allow it, I've got a drum-fed system, but you can see the, the rounds in the inside mm. as they like sort of coil down, coil through. And then there's, I've made it that the shells go in front of the, the player as opposed to away from the player. Uh, that's just because it's more interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. What game? Uh, it's Battle Arena Drones, which will be at Rage again this year. It's the game that I've been super busy on and art directing and everything the last few months and well last two years actually so yeah <laughs> it's the thing keeping me busy and uh helping me get gi joe anyway cool man yeah so rage this year do it northgate october do the it. what it's the 5th to the 7th of october Bam. so it's that friday to the sunday if memory serves mm. and i'll be there selling my swag but uh there'll be enough time for self-promotion from the pool camp I want to hear what's happening in the episode. Paul will be cosplaying as Princess Leia. Reason enough to go. <laughs> Hell yes. Okay, so... Gear. Uh, so come see me before I pass out. <laughs> but back to day five of Operation Dragonfire. Sergeant Slaughter sees the writing on the wall. He moves the G.I. Joe team into the protection of the shield, the Dragonfire shield that now protects the Mesa, narrowly avoiding getting destroyed by a pair of Fang 2s. Which makes me sad that Cobra is the only force that has some kind of air support in this battle. I mean, we saw smatterings of the, the, the mud fighters in Day 2, and we saw a little bit of the Skystorm in this episode, and in the previous episode we saw a little bit of the Phantom X-19s, but none of that air power was utilized to, to help defend G.I. Joe in this episode. Which is a pity, but then again, it's a 21-minute long episode. You can't exactly have the entire armada showcased. Because there is a lot of other stuff going on. With the shield up, the Cobras can no longer attack the Joes. 
So instead, they call upon the energy of the dragon fire in their other three locations by using something called Dragon Star One, a satellite, which is, I suppose, another MacGuffin of this series, which is able to collate the dragon fire energy from the other three locations and centralize it in this one. And we, if we are scribes of the G.I. Joe miniseries, we've seen this before. Can anyone remember? Mm-hmm. The Energy Star. I, yes. There we yeah. go, that's the name of the thing. <laughs> Another satellite <It's> <laughs> that is used to beam the energy around. And was that in the Weather Dominator? I think it was. Wasn't that Revenge of Cobra? And then the satellite gets scattered into different uh, continents and whatevers. Oh, man, I just remember it being called the Energy Star, and they were able to use that to beam their energy around. Oh, no, the Energy Star is from the Mass Device. That was the one. And this seems like a direct hmm. callback or reference to the Energy Star, because they call it the Dragon Star. Hmm, coincidence? I don't think so. So the Dragon Star 1 satellite <laughs> is able to draw energy from the, the Dragonfire base in the Himalayas, the base in Europe, and the base in South America. But even the combined strength of these three Dragonfire lakes cannot defeat the shield at Sorcerer's Mesa. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter has the most hilarious line at this point. After seeing that the Cobras can't crack the shield, <laughs> he says, We beat the snakes off! <laughs> <laughs> Taken out of context, as I look at that line on the page, that's a real perler. Oh, yeah. Well, just a moment before he says his line, you get a shot of um, Sergeant Slaughter, and it kind of pans across from him to the faces of two G.I. Joes. Does anyone know who those Joes are? They, they kind of look like twins to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're meant to be Mutt and Footloose, but, yeah, they... It can't be Mutt, because he's already been established with a kind of a porno moustache <laughs> early in an earlier episode. <laughs> it's porno snore. I'm going to go with the obvious explanation, and this, this is uh, the green shirts. We see green shirts in Sunbow, and boy, oh boy, do we see mm. green shirts in Deke. And I did air quotes for green shirts, because... If you watch latter Deke series, they're more like purple helmets. I shit you not. The G.I. Joe green, green shirts get purple helmets. Okay, why purple? Okay. It's just, just hilarious. That's supposed to be for the Cobras. It's what the fuck? Yeah. Where did they get that from? Purple helmets? I, I, oh, jeez. Okay, we, we're not there yet. I mean, that's like... The Deke of the 90s, proper. For now... Yeah, uh, that's episode 140-something. <laughs> For now, mercifully, Deke is sticking with the classic classic green shirt design in perhaps a slightly lighter shade of green. But yeah, they do look like twins. <laughs> we beat the snakes off! Mm -hmm. We then come <laughs> back to Scoop inside the Cobra-occupied G.I. Joe base, Delta Charlie. He's going inside a communications room, but does anyone notice the kind of equipment that he's animated with? What, the Crimson Guard uniform, or...? Yeah, 
Scoop's got some equipment with him. Does anyone... Did, did, did this equipment look quite conspicuous to anyone else? Isn't it the knife part of a backpack? One might think so on a first blush, but it's got a single antenna instead of what the Night Viper has, which is presumably one antenna and a knife sheath, or a sheathed knife. But his other piece of equipment is what really gives it away. Scoop is carrying none other than a Televiper backpack and Televiper camera. And that just blew my mind. Mm. That's like, that's, that's what Scoop does. He is a Crimson Guardsman who is a journalist. He's a televiper Crimson Guardsman. Mm. <laughs> He's a psyops dude. Yeah. It was so terrific that they animated him with essentially his the Cobra equivalent of his G.I. Joe gear. Oh man, I I was all over that. I loved that that sequence for that exact reason. It was like that is definitely a televiper backpack and there's definitely a televiper camera. That is a very cool detail. I mean, wow. Mm, pretty nifty, yeah? I didn't even... Um, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Worth going back and watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Everyone should definitely go rewatch this again. But what I did pick up on was that they, they're kind of repeating themselves at this point. <laughs> where previously Cobra Commander infused his vehicles with, you know, the power of their animals. He's like, the only way we can beat this Dragonfire shield is to infuse our vehicles with Dragonfire too. And then he starts kind of like spreading the energy around. Do you think that's a bit lazy that they're kind of doing that at this point and they're not kind of like coming up with something new this close uh, to the end? It's too much escalation. It's like it, it starts becoming like, oh, well, you've seen my Pythonization. Now I'll see Pythonization Super Saiyan Mode 2. It's It does get a little <laughs> bit ridiculous at that point. Like, I actually, for example, uh, it was so good when the uh, Razorback, uh, when the little, and uh, like a radar antenna array thing on the Razorback, it raises and then it's used to communicate to the uh, Dragon Star, right? Which I thought was quite cool. It was quite novel. I was like, okay, uh, that's a good way to uh, imagine that on a toy. Mm. But then it gets trumped by, uh, like, okay, so there's a bit of a radar on the Fang 2 at some point as well. Also not a problem, but then it gets trumped by, and now it has super shields. I'm like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) The best of both. Yeah, Cobra Commander has basically harmonized the two MacGuffins, or two major MacGuffins of the series. The first being the Dragonfire energy, and the second being the Pythonization process. Together, it forms the ultimate weapon. (laughs) But it seems unnecessary, because then what he does is that he basically has them shooting at the, you know, the foundation of the the rock formation that this this temple is built on. And it's like, couldn't you have done that without this weird shielding? (laughs) Like, how does this help you to achieve this plan? Yep. Yeah, man. Like, surely the Cobra airship has some long-range weaponry. They didn't have to fly and drive right up to the Mesa to blow it away. (laughs) They could have just sent, you know, the tactical nukes that they have on board. (laughs) Tactical nukes. Sure, man. Why would you fly around in that honking, massive airship if you didn't have some serious, like, city-leveling firepower? Come on. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is a good point. How many air-to-air missiles do you think it would take to blow a Mesa away? Like... You could fire a nuke at a rock, uh, at a mountain. It wouldn't blow the mountain away. 
I mean, that's that's a little far-fetched. Mm. Well, I mean, I thought you were going to say, how many missiles does it take to take down a flying Cobra flagship? And I'm like, just one. <laughs> <laughs> no, so there has I mean, to be some form of deterrent in it. You know? It's so, idiotic. Yes. It's idiotic. Like, mm. Cobra's big plan is to basically blow the Mesa away. Like, that's borderline impossible. Like, that's like a flea trying to take down an elephant. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like I say, how many missiles, bombs, shells would it take to try and even put a dent in a mountainside? Like, whatever. Cartoon logic. It, is, it would take a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. It makes um, me think of Jungle Strike. Sorry. What, you blow up <laughs> mountains in Jungle Strike? No, but in Jungle Strike, you know, like, how you can just find a house and then just pepper it with your machine gun and then it just explodes. And then uh, there's one mission, I believe, in Urban Strike where there is actually a mountain emplacement, like a kind of a, a setup on a mountain, and you actually can shoot that out as well. And it does, like, it looks like it's created some kind of serious, you know, devastation. <laughs> I always thought that was rather cute. But yes, like I said, it does remind me of Desert Strike nice. or Jungle Strike, whatever. So the whole thing now hinges on Scoop managing to get word out to the G.I. Joe of the frequency that would cause a disruption in Cobra's shielding technology. Am I right? Mm. You are right. No, no, no. Sorry, Scoop wants to get the frequency that Cobra possesses in order to weaponize G.I. Joe's Dragonfire. Because right now it's only in defensive mode. G.I. Joe needs the secret that Cobra discovered. That is, the secret to weaponize the Dragonfire and turn it onto the offensive. He needs to send that information to Sarge and Spirit. And he does so by calling in a favor from his pal Copperhead. So we get a payoff to the moment that was set up in the last episode where Scoop doesn't rat out Copperhead's betrayal. I thought that was a nice Mm. setup and payoff. I love the fact that it was remembered. It was something that was... It was continuity. I'm loving this. (laughs) What? I had to remember something from yesterday's episode? What? That is something new. (laughs) Also, on that same vein, whilst I'm seeing this unfold in front of me, I am taking back uh, what I'd said in an earlier part of this review when I said that uh, the Dragonfire doesn't seem as grand because now... As we, you know, we're seeing the Dragonfire being used to full effect and with the satellite shooting up the beam, I'm like, wow, the Dragonfire is actually pretty devastating for it just being a channeled energy source. Uh, it's, it's turning into something a little bit more Friedman-esque, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Guys, I'm really digging the fact that they got cameos for two 1989 Joes that don't get much love. Like, Sarge is like, you know, we need some heavy weapons. Where's Downtown? Where's Backblast? They rock up and they start pounding Cobra as best they can with the sort of multiple missile launcher. Downtown's using a very, very accurately animated mortar piece. But, uh, man, Downtown just can't catch a break, man, because his helmet... Okay, the action figure... The helmet on the action figure, it's questionable. But the animators really battled with this... To the point where it looks like two curved dicks pointing at his mouth. <laughs> like, I shit you not. I mean, they've even got, like, like dickheads. <laughs> Come on. Did oh, anyone else see that? No. Two I... red penises. 
<laughs> I averted my eyes, but now I know why. <laughs> Actually, I, I was dirty, like, man. "That's offensive." Yeah. Downtown just can't catch I'm a break. <laughs> Did you see the dicks? Hey, Rob. Hmm. Um. No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't notice that. I was, I was more focused on all the explosions going on. <laughs> oh dear. I'm the only one who noticed the dicks. Jeez, Freud would have a field day with me. Yeah, I was about to say. Have you heard of therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Hey, listen, it's Deke. Maybe you're sensitive to uh, subliminal information that Deke is pushing out that we're not. So uh, we have you, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. We learn that Lowlight made it. He made it all the way from South America on his Annihilator backpack. And he arrives just in time. Just in time to get the evidence that would exonerate Scoop. From a pair of Cobras. I love this moment, guys. The whole thing's been building to this. Low light. The skeptic. Isolated. Enraged. I mean, you bet. His whole journey from South America, he was cursing Scoop's name. He was ready. He was furious. He was just chomping at the bit to drive that Cobra trader's face into the computer monitor. But lo and behold, he turns over his shoulder, and tumbling out of that locker was a pair of Cobras who had nothing but bad things to say about Scoop. And in that moment, Lowlight realizes, hold on, this guy was telling the truth. He's a Joe. He's my brother. Time to kick some Cobra ass, like an acrobat. He's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Did that moment work for you guys? Uh, I find it to be quite Metal Gear Solid, actually. Like, it is kind of camp in a lot of ways. Because <laughs> at first, I actually had to uh, quickly rewind, because I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I, I, what, Like, really, what just happened? Like, I got two of them jumping out of the closet, and I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Lowlight bolts so, yeah. onto the parallel bars and spreads his legs, delivering a, <laughs> a double double kick. Bang. <laughs> Yes, I think Lowlight is actually definitely a candidate for MVP of this episode. Most valid participant in a Deke episode. Seriously. Second only to, to Scoop, I suppose. Rob, yeah, what well, say I mean, you on the matter, yeah. my brother? This setup was very long time coming, at least through the episode, because Scoop threw the Alley Viper into the locker on board <laughs> the Flying Fortress. And then you actually see when he arrives at the base that the locker is on the back of the truck that or truck or whatever you know vehicle he's driving. Yeah. And then he managed to get the, the locker moved into the communications room, where obviously then he overpowered another Cobra and shoved him into the same locker. And all of this, all of this is to clear Scoop's name in the story. <laughs> It's so convenient and so obvious what they've done mm-hmm. that I'm just impressed by it. <laughs> it it blows my mind that they that they did this. They're like, how do we clear scoop, you know, so that Lowlight doesn't take him out? Okay, cool. We need um he's he's tied up a bunch of cobras in a locker. But wait, no no no. He tied the one guy up over there and he ties this guy up over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just have him take the locker with him wherever he goes. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. I've pretty much forgiven the how in favor of 
the what. What? Yeah. Because you have to end this miniseries with the three nondescript characters, blank canvas characters, practically. I mean, Lolite has a little bit of backstory from Sunbow, but not much. But the three, like, new leads, you have to have them confront each other. Mm. Yeah. The old buddy from Cobra, who's still a Cobra through and through. The G.I. Joe skeptic, who wants nothing more than to show Scoop up for the traitor that he is. And Scoop, as we've said throughout this review, the lens of the series, our central character, our narrator. So you have to have this this conflict, this three-way conflict. It's like, what? Yeah, man. Like, I couldn't give two shits about what happened outside with the dragon fire. This is where my focus was. It played out like a cartoon. <laughs> you know? Just some grappling, some fighting. The bad guys scurry off, swearing revenge. And Lowlight throws his shield after him, saying something like, Yeah, if you ever come back, you'll get a lot more than your th- shield thrown at you. Which, I mean, given all the badass lines that Lowlight's had to date... That was a pretty lame one. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it was a good moment, and I, I felt like, yes, this is an interesting, interesting note to end on. G.I. Joe has gained a new valuable member of personnel, and we've seen his process. It's, yeah, it's Scoop's tale. In the background of this, this very cool end to the, to the character story, G.I. Joe beats Cobra. I mean, I don't think anyone doubted that that would that would happen. <laughs> yeah. No, there was absolutely no doubt. What do you guys think of the stills montage that follows? It's quite a departure from what we've got normally, whereas where, where it's sort of all the Joes in the big control room, fists in the air and shouting, yo, Joe, or having a big communal 1980s hearty laugh to close out the show. <laughs> what do you guys think of um, the different approach with Dragonfire? I think it's very fitting for Scoop because Scoop mm. is a cameraman. So I thought, I immediately thought, oh, cool, they're doing that, uh, like that Scoop taking the shot or whatever, you know. Yeah. They show the passage of time by like doing a montage of stills and the Joes yeah. kind of like taking out the various Cobra bases, which, you know, we learn in, in Scoop's monologue, fell pretty easily. Like once you take out the head, the rest of the snake kind of withers. And absolutely, to end it with a big group shot and Scoop being the man behind the camera... The perpetual outsider, but also our guy, you know, our lead. It's a nice touch. And once again, just a fresh take on telling a G.I. Joe story. I love seeing the G.I. Joe cleanup crew. G.I. Joe sort of arrived en masse. It was, it was like a joint effort. Like once uh, the surgical strike was sort of completed, once all the intel and whatever was gathered, G.I. Joe sent in everything X-19s. to go. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Sent in a killer crew to come take out, uh, take out the uh, Cobra emplacement. And that was cool. That actually made, it, it made things a bit more organized, you know, like more civilized militaristically. Instead of just having like 10 guys, a handful of guys take out this whole operation, which I, th- I thought was quite brave for Deke, you know, in an, in an era of the 90s, particularly being a time, or well, a time being quite focused on lone heroes or, or sort of haphazard heroes uh, saving the day with their um, buddies. So, yeah, I like that. I appreciated that. I thought there was a bit of realism there. Highs and lows, Robbie? 
I, I'm going to probably say that my hire was the, the, the kind of the resolution between Scoop and Lowlight. Hmm, me too, actually. They had to be antagonistic through the series. You know, Lowlight kind of came off as a hard ass. But that it was a cool moment in the last episode, you know, when he did the whole snake thing against Serpentor <laughs> and his doggedness in, in trying to catch up to Scoop. But then also his strength of character in that when he realizes that Scoop really is actually a good guy, he's like, cool, you know, we are on the same side and we're good. Um, so that's definitely a higher point. Hmm, it happens very quickly, very decisively. It's like... Lowlight's about to strangle the life out of Scoop. We can only imagine that that's what he's going <laughs> to do. He's like, you've double-crossed us for the last time. But then he like does it, well, the world's slowest double-take. I mean, if you rewatch the sequence, he hears these guys bad-mouthing Scoop. He frees them from the locker. <laughs> doesn't bother to check their uniforms. He's like advancing on Scoop, and then he's like, wait a minute. If you're Cobra, <laughs> and you don't like Scoop... And Scoop must be a good guy. <laughs> the cogs <laughs> turned very slowly at that point. But yes, it's my high as well. This moment that has been a long time coming. We finally get it. And it's good. Lowlight and Scoop. BFFs forever. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Your low point, Robbie? Probably my low point is it kind of feels like nothing else really happens <laughs> in the rest of the episode. I mean, because we kind of get a repetition, yeah, with the Pythonization becoming the dragon fireization, and then also the kind of repeating of, you know, oh, now it's the Joes that are shielded. Cobra has to, you know, show that they can't hit the, you know, hit them through the shields. Yeah, like the action takes a back seat to the the character stuff. I mean, I like that the character stuff is so strong, but. The the whole Dragonfire thing feels like it just fizzles out in the background. There's no, like, big resolution. I mean, the pictures thing is pretty cool, but it's not, like, a huge, ah, amazing, we, you know, we did it moment, you know, in comparison to the other miniseries, mm. basically. Yeah, man. Milo, I was going to talk about the fact that as a series... The pacing was off in that we could have spent more time within this sort of payoff zone. You know, all the mm. payoffs happen very quickly in episode five. It's quite a tumble of, like, revelations and stuff. Like, we could have spent a little bit less time in, like, Indiana Jones land. <laughs> By that, I mean, like, the South American temple and all that jazz. And Cobra Commander being raised from being a snake. Like, Get that stuff over and done with. And the plot line around Zorana and Baroness being scorned, all that stuff is less intriguing to me, ironically, than the characters that get their time to shine in this miniseries. And their arcs could have been given even more lion's share of the the intrigue. So, yeah, I, I do feel like structurally it's rushing at the end because you've got to wrap up the big Dragonfire story and wrap up the personal story. I like wish that Dragonfire had already been dealt with and completed in the previous episode. And, you know, everything just could get shifted up a little bit more. Cobra Commander's um, return could have been shifted up. Uh, the the dispatching of Serpentor could have happened earlier. Everything could have happened earlier so that we could have had a nice conclusion. You know, reach a really high, high... <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully one that involved the mud fighters. 
because we didn't get enough <laughs> mud fighters, and I'm very sad we didn't see any mud fighters in this final battle. That could have turned the tide. All those Cobra land forces, damn, you just need a squadron of mud fighters, and they would have pasted Cobra. <laughs> pasted Cobra. Those mud fighters have 16 bomblets. 16 bomblets. <laughs> Each one of those bombs could have blasted a Cobra Hiss 2 to smithereens. Anyway. Yeah. So. I'm thinking that's probably Paul's low point too. No <laughs> mud fighters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally my low point. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Steve, I interrupted you. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> It is a very strange final act. Yes, we had this uh, really cool BFS forever moment, which I love. It's my favorite part of the of the episode. It's my de- definite high. But then it's all the other stuff. I think all the other stuff that happened in the episode, I think could have happened in the previous episode. And I think all of the cool stuff that happened in the previous episode, like the action and whatever, could have been saved for a a, a more riveting uh, finale. Paul, this sounds vaguely familiar. Didn't I just say this? Yeah, exactly. But that's <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. It's like I had to no no. But Steve, listening to you, I had the same point. Sorry, I also had a lot of dogs barking, so my attention was a oh, bit Oh, believe me, I know. Yeah, no, I know. Sorry, I I, I tried to get the noise out and whatever, but it was that's a bit okay. unusual. Anyway. The fact that all of all three of us can come up with a similar conclusion to a, a large degree uh, and somewhat verbatim, sorry, Steve, uh, it does show that it has all these strengths and weaknesses. And a low point, and, and something I would like to take back as well. Okay, so I still don't love, love, love uh, the mud fighter, but the fact that I've had my condor now and I've seen some conquests and I've I've had you know I've seen an X19 and whatever has redeemed the appearance of the mud fighter. It doesn't feel like the uh, sort of ham-fisted fill-in I thought it was originally. It's still a mud fighter, though. <laughs> low and slow, baby. Low and slow. You know, that way you get the job done. Uh, low point for me is going to be pretty much the same as what you guys said and what I was saying earlier. The episode pacing is all off, and I don't think that it is the most um, bombastic way to end a final act and uh that's pretty much me i i i really hate that so many of the bad guys just fizzle out sort of you know i i think uh deke ran out of steam i think they ran out of ideas and they were like oh poop we should have saved all of that action stuff for the final episode anyway it sounds to me like your rating is going to be pretty low it is going to be a little bit low for this episode i I love the low-light uh, scoop romance. I really dig it. I actually like the foreshadowing because they're both Joes that had to cross the line <laughs> to understand <laughs> the perspectives. <laughs> you know, Scoop had to cross the line to find out that Joe didn't murder his family and Lowlight had to cross the line to find out that not all snakes are dirty. <laughs> so I like that little metaphor <laughs> that is thrown in. Speaking of uh, ratings, uh, what say you, gentlemen? Three and a half. I was going to go four, but I need this to be a bigger penalty, and it has to factor into this episode. I just do not enjoy the voice performance of Scoop. I've said it before, but it just... He just wasn't bringing it. Like... Just never got better for you. He's grappling with... Ali Viper, physically grappling with Ali Viper. Mm-hmm. And the guy responsible for the voice 
I'm not going to look up his name because I don't want to name and shame because, you know, I'm sure he went on to have a sterling, moderately sterling career. I don't know, whatever. But he's grappling with Ali Viper. It's animated tensely, but his voice performance is so calm. He Mm. really didn't inhabit that character. So, like, oh, man, compelling arc, good fun, but he just wasn't bringing it. So three and a half and not four. That's my final score for this episode. I'm giving it a three for all of the reasons I said before in my highs and lows. I, it just doesn't have enough juice to be a great finale. Uh, and it's a very confusing final act. Um, and is happily saved by Lowlight and Scoop's um, sort of resolution. Yeah, for me, I'm actually going to give it a 2.5. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, Boom. because for me, for me, the <laughs> the the emotional high point came in episode three when when kind of like Scoop kind of realizes what's going on and how that affects him personally. Another bit of sterling voice work, <laughs> not <laughs> you know, but like this in the context of the story, like I I liked that more than the resolution to me wasn't as important as that moment. And yeah, as we've all said, the background to this episode, the way that the that the action ends, that the actual story behind the characters ends, is not very compelling. So I'm a 2.5, and if I'm correct, that then gives this episode a three um, overall from Jared Oberg. And for comparison, oh, does Cujo? Uh, did we record a score for him as well? No, he didn't. said five. No, he doesn't say five. I know, I'm just being ridiculous. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, Robbie, hit us with the scores, man. Okay, so episode one, we gave overall a three. Episode two came out to 3.75. Episode three was 3.375. So slightly worse, but, you know, not as, um, as high as two. And episode four got a four. So that was the highest rated episode of this miniseries. And the last episode, as I just said, got a three. And that gives the entire miniseries an average of 3.425. How does that stack against other miniseries? As far as I can tell, this is our highest rated miniseries. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Hey, for all of our bitching and moaning about Dragonfire and Deke, hey, irony. Sometimes you have to cross the line, man. (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm unsurprised. When I first watched Mm. Dragonfire, I was like, this is so different. This speaks to me as an adult. I mean, okay, I I, I have to kind of dumb myself down, my adult (laughs) self. But, like, if I was playing this out with my action figures as an adult. As an adult, yeah. Keep adulting. (laughs) I could breathe so much more sophistication into this, the themes and the situations suggested by Operation Dragonfire than I could ever breathe into the situations and themes suggested by the Sunbow cartoons. Because those mm. are driven by action. This is driven by relationships. Sunbow mm. is driven by arenas of sports and killer vines and space stations populated with fatal fluffies and Mm. MacGuffins. This, Mm. you can throw all that shit away 
Mm. You've got cool vehicles, cool equipment being demonstrated as such. But on top of that, you've got a core of three characters all on varying sides of the conflict, each of them having a personal struggle and each of them being interesting characters to invest in. And that's where my adult focus lies. I'm like... How dickens of them. I'm extrapolating those situations and thinking like, hmm, if I was playing this situation out, it could go in so many interesting different directions. Cool. I, I agree with you again, once again, but this is the thing. It's for that exact reason that you mentioned now, why I bemoan and despise Deke as much as I do, because what they give, they taketh away. And in subsequent <laughs> Deke episodes, they really kick you in the dick. Uh, you start thinking... <laughs> kick you in the dick by dick. Exactly. I mean, you watch Dragonfire, and I see somebody like Backblast, and I'm like, oh my word, I had Backblast as a kid. I really need that figure back in my life. Thankfully, I now do. But I look at that, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And look at all these cool toys that I want. And it's it's it's, it's insanely cool. I mean, before I even get to the Charles Dickens side of the uh, equation uh, as far as storytelling goes... And then the rest of the episodes happen. And I will say this. I enjoy the Sunbow miniseries, but I don't think that this that the miniseries are the strongest parts of Sunbow, whereas, ironically, the miniseries is the strongest part of Deke. It's, it's the strongest collection of strong parts from Deke, should I say. Close us out, Rob. Final thoughts. <laughs> Deke. Operation Dragonfire. Operation Dragonfire was was overall very very interesting, and I'm I'm just so glad that Scoop was the featured character. And what Paul just said, it kind of confirms worries that I had because people have, I mean, I've read and Paul has said before that Deke is just the worst. He hates Deke. He wouldn't take Deke, the Deke even if you even if you offered to him with chocolate on or something. At least Sunbow, in a way, was consistent in its like craziness and over the topness. So I'm very curious um, after this to actually watch more Deke and see see if I enjoy the Deke. Bang, so, bang. Sorry. <laughs> so that's been Operation Dragonfire days one through five by G.R. Joburg. And this is Rob saying, go and get yourself a scoop. Scoop is the best. Hasta la buy scoop wago something. <laughs> I don't know. What <laughs> I don't know anything about Spanish. I'm sorry if I've insulted any of our uh, Spanish listeners. <laughs> this is Steve saying, "You got to get tough, Yojo." But don't worry, faithful friends and fans of GI Joburg. This madness is merely temporary. We are fast approaching the end of the 90s. We promise to talk about the 80s soon. <laughs> Anyways, we thank you for bearing with us in our operation, Dragonfire. To those of you who absolutely loathe the show. And to those of you who are on the fence, maybe the next time you uh, deign to watch this show, you'll be able to see some hidden gems and get the scoop on the dick. And that's me. I'm out. Goodbye. Yo, Joe. God bless. Happy trails. Hasta luego. Peace. And just when you thought the episode was over...
Steve's back. This time with something slightly different. A fellow YouTube G.I. Joe contributor, guy called Half the Battle Timmer, Belgian fellow, nice guy, has decided to start a charitable exploit, trying to raise money or donate toys to children in need. G.I. Joeberg urge you to take a look at his video on YouTube where you'll find all the details you need to be part of this very worthy campaign. Check out the URL in the description for this episode. Christmas is fast approaching, and we all have the power to make or break some child's festive season. So check out the link and see what you can do. Hey, you could even enter yourself into a lucky draw for a prize. Nice. Yojo.